It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. Man, I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak show. This is episode 21. It is brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kissed. You can follow my work at InsideThePylon.com. Go check out their draft guide. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKissedNFL. I'll be dropping pieces for BleedingGreenNation.com as well as we gear up towards the draft. Benjamin Solak is not with me for this recording. He has a very busy week, so we're going to be doing some things to kind of work around that. We'll be bringing on Trevor Sikama of Pewter Report later in this show to talk about the cornerback class of the 2018 NFL Draft. Before we do that, breaking news has hit, and it is a trade. So let's talk about this trade. Here are the details. The Rams send their 23rd overall pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, along with a sixth-round pick to the New England Patriots, who the Eagles beat in the Super Bowl, for Brandon Cook's and a fourth round pick. For New England, it makes a ton of sense as it looks right now. For example, you can look league-wide, all 32 teams, over the past three drafts combined, and you'll see that the Patriots have only one single draft pick in the top 59 in that time span. For comparison, the Eagles have had five, along with a slew of others that have had five to six right in that range. And there are four other teams with more than six, two of which were playoff teams last year with the Saints and the Tennessee Titans. There isn't another team with less than four picks in that three-year pick one to 59 span. The Patriots, again, have only had one. So what does that mean for the Patriots? It means that they've had a lack of depth 
particularly young depth, cheap depth. And instead, they've had to fill those roles with some veterans. And some of those guys just didn't fit for one reason or another. This is a concentrated effort by the Patriots to get younger, more affordable players after only getting those players in later rounds in the past. And after the move, here are their top draft picks. 23rd overall, acquired via the Rams. 31st overall. In the second round, they have the 43rd and 63rd overall. And then they have the 95th overall pick that comes in the back end of round three. That's a lot of draft capital to play around with. And then you see today, I think Benjamin Albright tweeted it out. You see reports that they apparently love Josh Rosen, the quarterback out of UCLA. So, okay, that would cost them both first rounders, a second, a third, and probably more considering that there's going to be a bidding war around that number two overall pick to move all the way up to the second overall pick, which is where you're going to have to go. You can't go to four with the Browns and get Josh Rosen. He's going to be gone before then. You can pretty much bank on that. Now, for the Rams, and I'm sure that's why a lot of you are listening right now, you have to admire the aggression with which they're attacking this window where they don't have to pay a quarterback top money. In doing so, even after the Sioux signing for 14 mil and the trade for Cooks, and even after the draft picks they'll have to sign, they have $70 million in cap room. That's second most in the league. It's only less than the New York Jets who don't have anywhere near the talent that the Rams do. That situation doesn't change much next year either. And if they want to bring in guys or re-sign guys, they can fully afford to front load those contracts in anticipation of a golf deal down the line. Not only that, let's talk about the player that they're getting in Brandon Cooks and how it fits with them. Put aside the the whole Malcolm Jenkins thing in the Super Bowl for for a moment. Put that aside. Uh, For a quick comparison from where Cooks came from to where he is now, the Patriots used at least three wide receivers in their personnel groupings only 46% of the time. That is a league low, well below league average as well. In 2017, the Rams used at least three wide receivers 84% of the time. Leading the league, they did it 825 times. So yeah, they have a plan for Cooks. Especially with Sammy Watkins walking to the Chiefs and free agency. They still have Robert Woods, who was a solid wide receiver. Cooper Cup, who had a very good rookie year. And Josh Reynolds, who was a rookie last year. And I really liked Reynolds in the pre-Jeff process. I think he can be a very good player down the line. And fun fact about Cooks, by the way. Cooks is younger than Cooper Cup. He's one of four players to record at least three 1,000-yard receiving seasons with at least seven touchdowns before his 25th birthday. Now, he's not going to dominate and take over a game on a consistent basis, but he is a very good player. He's a home run threat, and you have to respect that deep speed that he has. And Eagles fans that watched him work against Ronald Darby in the beginning of that Super Bowl know the kind of damage that he can do. So pulling back for a moment to the big picture, let's put the major Rams moves together. Ndamukong Su, Marcus Peters, Akeem Talib, and Brandon Cooks. They are obviously loading up. That couldn't be any more clear. They re-signed John Sullivan and a re-signing that I really like. And I said that the Eagles should go after this guy. And I said that the Rams should definitely do this before the offseason began. They let Tremaine Johnson walk because they weren't going to overpay him, which they were currently doing with the franchise tag. And they got Nickel Roby Coleman back on a very affordable deal to cover slot receivers. And Roby Coleman was a guy that I wanted the Eagles to look at as a Patrick Robinson replacement if they could. He's a very underrated player. 
That gives them three plus corners after all is said and done with. And then they move on from Alec Ogletree in a trade, the linebacker. He was being wildly overpaid. He wasn't a fit. They shipped him off to New York. And yeah, that created a needed linebacker, one that they had anyway, and it got worse. This is not a roster. Don't, don't take it the wrong way. This is not a roster without holes. They have zero edge rushers right now. And you had to think that they thought the edge rushers they would want in round one would be gone by the time they picked. And they probably would be. Bradley Chubb from NC State would have been gone for sure. It was very unlikely that Boston College's Harold Landry was going to fall to them. So that puts you with Marcus Davenport from UTSA, who they may have not even liked. And he is a polarizing player who may not even gotten to them anyway. And then you're talking about guys that could sneak into the first, like Sam Hubbard from OSU and Josh Sweat from USC. But getting back to the Ogletree move, they're paper thin at linebacker. They need an upgrade or depth along the interior of their offensive line as well. There are holes. But that insane combo of Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Su will mask some poor linebacker play. And also, to do the job of generating pass rush, you have those two pushing that interior, making life easier on the edge rushers, whoever they put out there, along with the corners locking things down. And you've got, and this is this is what gets me. I'm about to mute the phrase dream team on Twitter because it's getting out of hand. These aren't five-year contracts being doled out willy-nilly, and they don't have a former offensive line coach as their defensive coordinator like the Eagles had in the clueless Juan Castillo. They have Wade Phillips, one of the sharpest minds in the game, and definitely an elite defensive coordinator. Dominican Sue is not Colin Jenkins. Marcus Peters is not DRC. Aqib Talib. You, you hope that it turns out like Namdi Asuma, but still Asuma was being touted as the best cornerback in the league at the time. And nobody is saying that about Aqib Talib, despite him being very solid over the years. Also, the Rams aren't going to be bent over by these contracts and they have plenty of room to maneuver right now. Looking towards the future, the Rams will have to make a decision on Cooks, who is likely going to command something in the neighborhood of $14 million. Aaron Donald still needs a shiny new contract. LaMarcus Joyner is on a franchise tag. Marcus Peters will cost substantially more in 2019. Same with Todd Gurley. You're eventually going to have a need for a successor at tackle. Andrew Whitworth is turning 37. Maybe they could have gone there at pick 23 overall. But again, there's plenty of money there this year, next year, and probably the year after that, even with a golf deal before things start to become hamstrung and a little bit tight for them financially. And really, honestly, who are we to judge as Eagles fans in regard to spending every cent you can to build the championship roster? The goal is not to have cap room. The goal is to build a championship team. The thing for the Rams and this is where the Eagles are winning, and it's a big one. How is that locker room going to gel? How is that team going to gel on the field? In reality, it could be one of the scariest teams in the league. If you look at it realistically, if you take all those components together, they gel together with the coaching that they have, you have a legitimate contender. Make no bones about that. If they can't come together, if they can't control it or feed enough egos, which the Eagles did a very good job of having a firm grasp on all those situations, it could get out of hand for the Rams very quick. Are they going to be mentally tough enough to get through those initial struggles as a team? I know the Eagles are. They took hit after hit after hit after hit last year in terms of injuries and adversity, and they never once looked back. So yeah, you should be concerned about the Rams. If you're not, 
not question your sanity, but you should also have confidence in the Eagles to sustain success regardless of what's put in front of them like they did all last year and like I believe they'll continue to do in the future. So with that out of the way, we're going to kick it over to my talk with Trevor Sikama from Pewter Report. Fantastic job covering the cornerbacks in this 2018 draft class. Let's kick it over to that right now. And we are joined by a personal friend of mine, someone that I had the extreme pleasure of hanging out with in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. He is a beat writer for Pewter Report. He is the co-host of Locked On NFL Draft with John Ledyard, who has been on this show before. John talked with us about running backs. He is a member of Fortnite and Battlefield Twitter. Uh, he his his class is scout and he likes to snipe in Battlefield. Don't hold that too much against him. His football evaluations are better than his Battlefield play, or at least the way he chooses to play Battlefield. He is Trevor Sikama. Trevor, how you doing, bud? Dude, I, but I'm the kind of scout that like doesn't suck. <laughs> All right. Like, I just got to say, like, a lot of people go into Battlefield and they play Scout and they kind of like ruin it. But I'm not like I actually know what I'm doing. I can I can actually help the team as a sniper, but I'm doing good, Mike. That's that's true. I, I still think it's like a coward to to play and hang back in the map while I'm in there t- taking up all the all the bullets and everything. But history I, I, remembers the victors, man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You have this tendency at the end of the match to switch <laughs> teams to the victor's side. Your win loss ratio must be like bonkers, bro. I'm like in the nineties, dude. <laughs> That's pathetic. <laughs> hey, they put it in the game. I'm just a player. I'm just a player. You're playing within it within the rules, using all the avenues for success. Okay. So uh, uh Trevor, just off the cuff, I, I talked at the beginning of the show about the trade for Brandon Cooks where the Rams were able to acquire him for a first round pick. Do you have any reaction yeah. to that? I know you were you were busy out doing very important things. You're a big J journalist. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that trade, though? Yeah, no, I did. Uh, crazy trade. I did not think that, you know, we had heard that the Rams, I mean, the Rams have been active for since the beginning of the offseason started, whether it was, you know, getting rid of Robert Quinn or bringing in a keep to or, you know, everything was Sue and thinking about bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. And now all of a sudden they actually uh, pull the trigger on getting the trade for Brandon Cooks. I think I think Cooks is a fine player. I like Cooks as a wide receiver. I liked him a good bit coming out. And I know he's still a young guy, but the value of the trade, it, it was just a little, it was too rich for me because Cooks is on the last year of his contract. Hmm. Uh, he's you're, you're paying him eight and a half million this year. So if you want to keep him around, which I mean, ideally why you made the trade, right. you're, you're going to have to pay him quite a bit of money starting next year. And if you don't, you just rented a guy for a first round pick. I know the Rams didn't have a second round pick and, and it probably made negotiations a little tough and more Patriot sided, but Man, I thought that I thought they gave up a lot for Brandon Cooks. So I, I guess that's that's kind of my thoughts there. Yeah, I think they're actually going to be able to keep Cooks if they so choose to, because I mean he is going to command about fourteen million dollars around that ballpark. I, I yeah. cited that in the beginning of the show. However, uh, they have after this, after signing the, the all the guys from the draft class and, and all that good stuff, around seventy million. They have plenty of cap room. If they want to front load that contract, they can keep him in the building. But it it would be a bad trade for me if he lasts only one year, though, and it doesn't result in a Super Bowl championship. So we're gonna see how all of that plays out. But that's not why you're here, Trevor. We are here to talk about quarterbacks. News be darned. Uh, we're going to be looking at the top of this class, and then we're going to be taking a more uh, singular look at what the Eagles could be doing at 32. They brought in Isaiah Oliver from Colorado for an, an official visit. They are looking at that position either outside or at the nickel position. They could be looking at guys later on. Obviously, 
The draft capital situation in Philadelphia is always a fluid situation with Howie Roseman in office. All these guys are on the table, no doubt. But what, what I want first, your opinion on the top of this class. I probably one of the few people I know Jonah Tolls from NTT Scouting is in my camp with this, but I have Jair Alexander out of Louisville as my cornerback one. I love his ball skills, his play speed, the use of his hands at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he could improve on his play strength, his open field tackling, disengaging from blocks. Who do you have as your cornerback one and why? Because I know a lot of people had Denzel Ward there. Sure. Um, I actually just wrote something up on on this uh, earlier this week. My cornerback one is Denzel Ward. The elite athleticism that he has, the instincts that he has, the, the way he can play man coverage. And it's such an art for a cornerback to be able to play man coverage the way that I explain it, you know, playing blind, playing with your back to the ball. And a lot of times when you're in man coverage, I, I see defenses try to make up for this or help out their defensive backs a little bit. And you're doing you know, some cover three stuff, still mm. keeping things in front of you. It's almost like a faux man coverage kind of a thing. But Denzel Ward is a guy who can truly play man coverage. And the problem with him, he's 5'10 and he's 183 pounds. And so ideally, when you talk about lockdown, shutdown corners, which let me tell you, you know, attribute wise, athleticism wise, and I think even, you know, technique and instinct wise, Denzel Ward is a shutdown corner, but the height and the weight, he mm -hmm. doesn't have it. And so that, you know, he is my cornerback one because he does all the other things so well. But to your point there, and I know Jonah talks about him as well. I've loved, I loved Jair Alexander in 2016. Yeah. He was one of my favorite players in the country when I got to watch him uh, back a couple of years ago. And I think he proved at the combine this year that, hey, don't focus on my 2017 tape. I was hurt. Like you look at the 2016 tape. And, and so if we're talking about that, I love Jai Alexander. I think he's a fantastic prospect. And even though I, I guess I would, you know, probably put him number two behind Denzel Ward, these guys are both going to be top 20 players on my board. I think when, when it's all said and done and, and for certain schemes, I think for certain ways that teams run things, you could pick either of those two guys at the top and I'd had no problem with it. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about Jair, I mean, 2017, he suffered a knee injury. Then he suffered a setback in practice, followed by breaking his hand. And then you, and then you look at Denzel Ward and he's in my top 15 as well. There's no slander against Denzel Ward. And like you said, at the catch point, he's trained really well in disrupting the catch point. By watching the wide receiver's eyes and the hands, he rips through the strike zone to break it up. He's very trained in that area. He had some struggles against Simicovs in the beginning of the season with some of the mm -hmm. high point balls, but he's still very good in that area. And, and then you start to look at some of the other guys outside of those main two. Uh, Mike Hughes from UCF. Now, he is a guy that the Eagles could be interested in. Same, same with Jair Alexander. We don't know how the league feels about uh, Jair uh, they would be mistaken if they let him fall all the way 32. I would literally run to the podium along with, you know, Darius Geis being there. <laughs> but Mike Hughes, another guy, uh, 5'10", 189. Strength and press man, though. He's got ball skills. He plays zone coverage really well. I like him at the line of scrimmage. He's got a very good athletic profile. Uh, again, another weakness because he's smaller, that open field tackling and just the height. And if you miss out on a Jair Alexander or a Denzel Ward, you could do a lot worse for a consolation prize in the first round than Mike Hughes. How do you have Mike Hughes? Where do you, where do you like his game at the next level? No, I mean, a lot of your stuff is is certainly correct. And as I've been going over the cornerbacks in this class, I like a lot of the talent is here. I think that, that this cornerback class is rich with a lot of a lot of solid number two cornerbacks in the right. NFL. You know, you, you don't have you don't have the six foot, 200 pound, 205 lockdown guy who's the bona fide top five, top 10 pick who's going to be all. truly an NFL. 
I mean, those are tough to come by anyways. Like I said before, we're seeing a lot of defenses basically scheme their coverages around help and how they can best help out corners because it's really rare that you find guys who are big enough to play corner Mm. against these NFL freak wide receivers and yet still have the athleticism to obviously keep up in, in front of them. So, I mean, even with Ward, Alexander, Mike Hughes is another one. Isaiah Oliver is another one. Mm. These are a couple of guys there who it's like, I think a lot of these guys could be really solid uh, and really great number two corners for teams. And you need that. No question you need that. So Mike Hughes is a guy who, like you said, smaller guy, but obviously uh, plays what appears to be with a chip on his shoulder. He definitely benefited from UCF's yeah. big run, their success. He got a lot of eyeballs on him. And I think the more people watched UCF, certainly, you know, they talk about Shaquem Griffin and a lot of uh, the things that Scott Frost, the head coach, was doing on offense. But uh, taking a couple of the gems, Mike Hughes is one of the gems that was in the secondary. And they play a they, they played pr- a pretty aggressive style of defense, I think, where course, yeah. at least in the secondary right, in the secondary standpoint where they, they were playing a lot of course c- close coverage. Mm-hmm. And not all of their cornerbacks played press because people uh, uh, tend to assume that anytime it's like up near the line of scrimmage that that's technically press. Right. And it's really not. Like, for example, Denzel Ward plays close to the line of scrimmage, but he doesn't play press. He doesn't. At, Denzel Ward, press coverage is obviously at the snap and not explaining it to you. You know what it is. But just or being detailed about it, when the ball is hiked, you get your hands up on a receiver. Right. You're trying to knock them off their their route, you're trying to knock off the timing that they have with the quarterback, all that kind of stuff. So you're getting physical right away. Some cornerbacks play close to the line of scrimmage, but they don't necessarily want to get their hands up right away. Denzel Ward is one of them. He never wants to get his hands up because he is 5'10", 183, and he's going to lose that battle against a lot of wide receivers. So instead, he just plays close coverage, so he's always near him, can always have that recovery speed. He's great with balance, great with his feet, but Hughes, different kind of corner. And that's why I say there's a lot of really solid number two corners in this class. And it's almost kind of a pick your preference. There's going to be a lot of guys that some good teams in need of some corners are going to be able to pick. It might not be rich in that top 10, top 15, but certainly anytime after that top 15, top 20, you know, we're talking about the Eagles here. They could have a good selection of, of certain guys and certain skill traits that they could possibly prioritize. Yeah, and you look at a guy like Ward, he could go, I, I know the, you got a lot of short corners there in Tampa Bay, but he could go seven there, he could go eight to the Bears, <laughs> he could go nine to the 49ers, 11 at Miami, I, I, I can't see him really falling past that. And you look at Mike Hughes, who we just talked about, like you said, he, he's more physical as far as just his play style, he likes to get his hands on, he's going to get flagged early in his career for being overly aggressive, so that's something that he has to get cleaned up. But according to PFF, when he was targeted, a quarterback rating of 43.8, he only allowed 6% of go routes, go routes to be completed against him. I see yeah, his ceiling yeah. as like uh, number 14 to Green Bay, number 15 to Arizona. You look at 19 to Dallas and then his floor being number 32 for the Eagles. And then you look at, we finally get to a tall guy here or a somewhat tall guy, especially compared it to this class. Josh Jackson from Iowa. You know, you love his mental processing. He's instinctual. He came to Iowa as a wide receiver. He's got those ball skills. The eight interceptions, the 18 pass breakups in 2017. He's more of a scheme fit. He didn't look super comfortable at the combine with the movement things, but that's not what you're asking him to do. You're asking him to do a very specific thing if you draft him right. I think 17 at San Diego is a very good fit for him, 18 to Seattle. What do you like about Josh Jackson? Yeah, again, a lot of the things that you talked about there, Josh Jackson is, and people... You know, people have kind of talked to me a bit on, on Twitter and when comments of articles, you know, responding in some of the podcasts we do. And he's saying, man, Josh Jackson is the best cornerback in this class. And for a certain team, 
Right. That's going to be true. But Josh Jackson is best when you play him in off coverage and you allow him to watch the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, the word you used is instincts there. He has fantastic instincts in that regard. The ball skills, sometimes takeaways. You know, we'd love defensive backs who get takeaways. Obviously, that's the main goal. You want to get the ball back for your offense. Sometimes, though, it's hollow. Like, for example, um, Tavares McFadden. I think he had eight interceptions last year. Mm. A lot of those were hollow. Um, Just absolutely terrible throws that landed in his lap. And, you know, good for him. I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking it. But like, hey, here we are a year later and... He's not getting any. Yeah. So it's kind of like you wonder what happened. Josh Jackson's not that kind of guy. I right. think you're right. You know, him playing wide receiver, he having, him having that background, that gives him the ball skills. I think that gives plenty of evidence to that. But if you are a team that plays off coverage as um, really as a base, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are one of these teams. Tampa Bay Buccaneers play a lot of off coverage in what they do. You have to be smart. Um, you have to have a lot of anticipation to be good in the NFL when you're playing in off coverage. I think Josh Jackson does that a lot. Like you said there, the technique when he's backpedaling and even kind of the way he's built. And then, you know, this is getting into like the details of really scouting guys. Body composition is kind of, it's not always something you could pick up with every prospect, but for certain prospects, you can kind of see it and you see it a little bit with Josh Jackson when he's doing, when he was doing those backpedal drills at the combine, you know, no pads on, it's just him and his body. It's kind of like he was really he was really upright. Yeah. Like he couldn't really sink his hips down. And that's really what you and sometimes that's just a center of gravity. That's a balance thing. That's some guys just it's tougher. Josh Jackson might be one of those guys. And so he's he's kind of a player who I love his skill set, but he's definitely a scheme fit. You want to be able to give him the opportunity to play to his strengths, because I, st- I think that his strengths are, are pretty dang good when you let him play off coverage. Yeah, 100 percent agree. If you're a cover three team. You're going to let him play off in that deep third from a bail technique. Totally fine yeah, with him. Yeah. Not an issue whatsoever. So that, that's that's a good player right there if you get him in the right situation. There, There's another player, uh, Quentin Meeks from Stanford. I have heard that scouts told him at the combine, and I can confirm this through a buddy of mine that is around the Stanford program. Scouts told Quentin Meeks that if he ran well at his pro day, that he would go round one. And he ran pretty well at his pro day. Uh, his size and length at, at shows up at the catch point. He's six foot one, 209 pounds, really good size. And with all these Stanford guys, you look at Justin Reed and you look at Meeks, their football intelligence is off the charts. Weakness for him would probably be run support. Other than that, I think Quentin Meeks is a darn good football player. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on him, but uh, I am curious to know. Yeah, I think he's an all-around corner, and I think he is, you know, my co-host on the Locked on NFL Draft podcast, he he loves Quentin Meeks. He thinks that he is a very smart corner. He thinks he's a corner that can play in all different kinds of coverages, yeah. and the size, obviously, is it's the big thing. It, when you're 6'1", 210, and what did he run? What did he run in his pro day? Do you, was, do you was, have it? It was right under, it was sub 4'5". I think it was like a, right at 4'4'9", so sub 4'5 is where he wanted to be, where he needed I mean, to be at that's that size. A, you know, that's a fantastic time. I mean, I'm just looking at kind of his stuff uh, here at Mock Draftable to take a look at the uh, the percentiles that he was in. But vertical jump, broad jump, three cone, all of it was above the 80th percentile. Beautiful. You know, he's got he's got huge hands. He's got kind of long arms it, that it makes sense why teams are saying, hey, if you run well, if you ran well, then you're, we're giving you round one consideration because what we referenced earlier 
it's so hard to find guys who are big who can play corner. Yeah. And Quentin Meeks, I think, is is I don't know, I don't know, a hidden gem, but certainly I think he's a guy who's getting looked over and he's gotten looked over a lot. I think we talked about him a decent amount during the summer. And then it was almost like everyone forgot Stan- about him. Yeah. Stanford wasn't really doing anything. Yeah. And I think that that kind of has an impression on how we look at prospects. Like if we, if you don't watch a lot of national games, don't get me wrong. Like I know we, we all watch, especially us, you know, who do this pretty regularly. We watch the tape and everything, but hearing guys' names in the media, watching them live on, on certain national televised games, you know, that always helps. That's always a refresher to keep going back to guys. And I, I don't think Quentin Meeks ever got that. And I think, uh, I don't know if he got the justice that probably his talent deserves. So I think that he is a guy that, yeah, he's getting pretty overlooked right now. As far as Meeks goes, you're also playing in the pack where some of those games are later on. And like you said, they weren't really competing. So a lot of people turn those games off. And I think that has something to do with a lot of the big media hype missing from him as well. Ultimately, I mean, I think he could play press or off man or zone. Not at an elite level, but at a solid level. Right. You know, being super smart. I I think he could move to safety as well. That's something to look for. I think the Eagles will take a look at him as well. Let's take a look at some of these nickel cornerbacks. And I'm going to go through a couple of groups here real quick. Sure. MJ Stewart from North Carolina. I talked about him on the last show. I really like his game. I think he's uh, super sticky. Duke Dawson from Florida and then Rashawn Golden from Tennessee. I know Duke Dawson is your boy. Yeah, you're in that area. Tell me about your boy, Duke Dawson. No, Duke Dawson uh, was behind. Yeah, I like Duke Dawson a lot. But I have always, now I'll say this. Mm-hmm. Even when he was at Florida, um, I've always thought he's nickel corner. I just kind of like, I look at his body type. I look at the way he moves. I look at his strengths, uh, quick feet, sh- short area bursts, much yeah. more than long strides down the field, you know, keeping up with a guy in a nine round. That, to me, that's a nickel corner. And that's what Duke Dawson's kind of always been. Um a couple of years ago, he was sitting behind Tease Tabor and Quincy Wilson when they were to the two outside cornerbacks at Florida. So Duke had to play on the inside. And then this year, he was the senior of the cornerback group. He played a little bit outside, but still played nickel. And I, I'm telling you, he just played nickel better. It just yeah. suits his skill set, I think, a lot more. And obviously, a smaller guy has a good frame, um, knows how to tackle. And I just think that his movements, yeah, it, it, it's perfect for a slot player. I don't think he's, e- he's elite athletically, certainly, but I think the slot is certainly his best role. Yeah, and I think he's a, his movement skills tend to the slot better than Jalen Mills, who is being rumored to be moved to the slot in Philadelphia. So that's someone I like. Where do you see him going? Like second round, third round, fourth round, that that kind of area? Can you, can you pin it down any better than that? Probably around the top 100. I mean, I don't think he's going second round. If anything, I think third round, fourth round yeah. is where I'd, where I'd peg Duke Dawson. I would I would agree. All right. Shot out of the can. I'm going to throw five names at you. I want you to tell me which one you like best. I don't know if you, okay. how much research you've done on this guy, on these guys, but let, let's figure it out. Jordan Whitehead from Pittsburgh could be moving from safety to nickel if you like him there. Dante Jackson, the burner out of LSU. Nick Nelson out of Wisconsin. Darius Phillips out of Western Michigan, Greg Stroman, who Ben likes out of Virginia Tech. Any of those guys catch your fancy as a as a nickel cornerback in Philadelphia? Who was the second name that you said? Uh, there was White. Oh no, 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 Dante Jackson. Yeah. Dante Jackson. LSU's defenders are always alluring to me because it, they play so hard for LSU. Yeah. And anytime that you have a guy who's an uber athlete, I thought over the last two, I I thought over the last two years, I don't know if Jackson stood out to me a ton per se. But, you know, when I watched LSU play and I watched their cornerback specifically, I even liked Jackson at times more than I liked Trey White last year. So, so like flashes. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen flashes from Jackson. And so again, a smaller dude, 
probably a nickel guy because of his size, but I mean, he's got the straight line speed, so who knows? I think he, I, I, I do like Jackson a good amount just because I've seen flashes from him. Yeah, and what, what kills me with Jackson, because his straight line speed is track speed, and he's got like that Jamaican style of, of, of running, and I'm not saying that to put it's an actual style of track before anyone gets in my mentions <laughs> <laughs> so he ran a 4-3-2 people thought he could run a 4-2-5 either way the dude is burning that's 97 percentile his arm length at nine at 29 and a half and his weight at 178 i'm like how yeah, are right. you gonna hold up in the nfl right, with, with right. that size profile you know what i mean yeah no that's that's tough and that's why i say you know even though he has the speed to be a straight line guy, which you would need to play outside, yeah, he doesn't have the size to play outside. So you're always kind of risking it if he's ever playing as an outside guy for you. Yeah, you want to you want to fall in love with him. Then, then again, like the like the size, the bench press at seven reps, which is in the fourth percentile. Like he's got such a wiry frame, and I don't know if he can add bulk to it. And I, I saw a rep with him. He was covering a swing pass to John Kelly. And, um, and, and I froze it and I put it on Twitter and I asked everyone what they thought. I'm like, Dante Jackson, Jackson is coming downhill. John Kelly is just starting to gather himself. What do you think happens? Of course, Dante Jackson didn't make that tackle. Like, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no way. All right, uh, Trevor, before we go, any other babies you have in this class? Any other bays from the cornerback class that we haven't talked about that you, you want to put out there? Uh, JC Jackson's a really interesting guy. Um, I think he's got a, very much an overall frame to play cornerback. He was a highly touted recruit, um, went to the University of Florida. That's why I knew him so well. Ended up getting dismissed from the team uh, because he was involved in an incident off the field. They got it kicked off, goes to Maryland, actually played pretty well. I think, uh, you know, I, I read that he was catching some people's eyes. You know, obviously a talented kid, but anytime you transfer, you're a bit of a forgotten kid. So yeah. he's an interesting guy to, to watch for. And then Avante Maddox from Pitt. Mm. Um, I watched him at the East-West Shrine game, or the East-West Shrine practices. And he got better every day to the point where on that third day, they were running all kinds of stuff. They were running one-on-ones with the wide receivers. Uh, they were running goal line drill. And Avante Maddox, it, you know, it was like him and Chris Worley from Ohio State were basically running the defense. Nice. They were telling people what to do. They were matching up with the best players. Um, so I was really impressed with him there. Obviously, smaller guy. He is purely a nickel dude. But those are kind of just two guys who not really being talked about who I would just keep my eye on. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Trevor. Hey, plug all your stuff, where you work, where they can find you on social media, where they can find you on Fortnite if they're about that life. Plug all your stuff. Sure. Um, I uh, cover the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and uh, kind of the NFL draft full time for pewterreport.com. Uh, mainly on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Uh, I love talking with people, whether it's Bucks football, draft, uh, all kinds of other sports, no matter what it is. Uh, I'm pretty big on Twitter, so uh, follow me there, and I'll, I'll, I'll I promise I'll interact with you. And then uh, gamer tag on Xbox is literally Gruden's QB camp. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. Thanks again for joining us, Trevor. Yeah, man. All right, and that's going to do it for today's show. We will be back on the next show talking about all the official visits, breaking them down with Benjamin Solek. He'll be back. And remember, we all we got, we all we need, Fly Eagles Fly. Fly.